we'll go ahead and get started. Um, so we're going to finish chapter 3 today and then start on chapter 4 in Ephesians. Uh, the last few verses here at chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, we're going to go over that. And then we're going to go through, if we have time, the first few, uh, oh, let me think here, up to that first break, which is uh, 1 through 16 on chapter 4. I, I'm hoping we get that far. I'm not sure if we will or not. We'll have to see, wait and see. Um, but we'll just go ahead and get started. I'll start us out with prayer, and we'll go from there. Lord, we thank you that we can have your word. It is precious to us, and we pray that you would have that be precious to us, that you would give us a heart and a mind and a soul that craves um, craves your word, food from you, nourishment. And we just pray that we would honor you and worship you and lift you up and be blessed by you. We praise things in your name. Amen. So the first, uh, the first three chapters in Ephesians are based on doctrine, and then the last three chapters of Ephesians are based on duties or responsibilities that we have as Christians or as believers uh, to go forward. In other words, what to do with that doctrine. So, But I'm going to start us out with a story a little bit, because we've been talking about the riches. So my, the book that I'm using is called Be Rich by Warren Worsby. And it's basically emphasis on the riches and the fullness of Jesus Christ, of God our Savior, of the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to talk a little bit about what's called the breadth, the height, the width, the length, and the fullness of God's blessings. And so we're going to talk specifically about that. And I'm going to tell you a quick story, though. Um, so married, uh, my, I got, Brent and I got married in 1993, and I had actually lived in Garrettson one year before that because I was teaching school. But we got married in 93, so we moved on here, started coming to E-Free here. And our first child was born in 1997. Eden was born in March of 1997. So that was our first. A month later, my oldest sister married Joe, who was 12 years older than I was, had her last child, Ethan. Ethan's a good friend of mine. He's my nephew. We go hunting together. He lives up by Lake Press in South Dakota. And my, my brother-in-law, my sister, he was a pastor by trade. Um, so he had moved from Wisconsin where we lived to New Ulm, Minnesota, to up to Esteline, South Dakota. was there for a long time. Moved over to Minneota, Minnesota, which is by Marshall, and then eventually moved back to Esteline. I'll give you this story. Anyway, when Mary Jo was pregnant, so my oldest sister, when she was pregnant, this was her fourth biological child, when she was pregnant with Ethan, she had some physical problems. Like her strength was weakening, she her hands and whatever, she would drop kitchen utensils in the in the kitchen for no reason at all. So after Ethan was born in, in April, she went through a series of testings. And this was a long time ago, so I'm trying to recall everything in detail here. She went through a series of testings that summer, and then what happens is when you diagnose some diseases, there's no actual test for the disease. You just kind of eliminate everything else. Well, Shock to the family, summer of 1997, Mary Jo was diagnosed with what's called ALS, which is called Lou Gehrig's disease. In Lou Gehrig's disease, you typically live two to five years after that before you pass away. It's a degenerative disease. Um, I believe uh, uh, Randy Anderson's dad had that at the very end of his life, or maybe his mom, I can't remember. Anyway, 
it was a shock to the family. And also at that same time, my dad got uh, diagnosed with Parkinson's. We're talking two neurological issues right there. So anyway, Mary Jo went through this process. Now, you have to understand, they lived in this little town, Minnesota, Minnesota, which is just north of Marshall, right? And he worked for FCA at the time. They had four biological children and one adopted child, which I will get to here in a second because that's part of the story in this little house. And so she has ALS, right? And so now what? Well, it took about two years before she was completely incapacitated, could no longer walk. She was in a wheelchair or in a chair in her house. And probably a year after that before she could not move a single muscle other than blinking her eyes. And during this whole process, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to be honest with you and say, because I'll tell you how many years this lasted in a little bit. I was hoping Mary Jo would pass away. Why? To take the stress off the family. So here's Gary, pastor by trade, working for FCA, five children in the house, one adopted child who turned out in the long run to cause them more pain and headache than you could possibly imagine. I'm talking about the adopted child. Um, and then dealing with Mary Jo, raising five kids, it was, it was stress on steroids, right? So Mary Jo gets to the point where she's incapacitated, there's nurses in the house around the clock, and um, she gets to the point where, and then she couldn't, but her cognitively, she was still there all the time. She knew exactly what's going on in the house the whole time. It was amazing. So Gary would communicate with her by having this piece of paper, like this, which had the alphabet on it. And this is literally how she'd communicate. She, he would point to, like this, the letters, and she'd blink her eye when he get to one and try to spell out stuff. It was painstaking at the best, right? Um, so that whole process, right, that whole process lasted for 14 years. From 1997 till 2011, that's when Mary Jo passed away. And during that process, I absolutely hoped for the, for the sake of the family, to take the stress and the pressure off, that she would be passed away. I don't know that she wished that, because she had a fight and a will to live like I've never seen. She was one tough cookie, good for older sister. But she was 12 years older than I was, right? And so during that whole process, uh, and again, to complicate the matters, they had just enormous problems with this child that they adopted, Jamie who ended up between after, right after Mary Jo had passed away, taking his own life. So, 14 years of this, I watched this. I'm amazed at Gary's countenance, demeanor, attitude, whole, the whole, how he looked at everything. I was just in amazement the whole time because, yeah, Gary showed discouragement. Who wouldn't, right? Who wouldn't crack under that? But generally speaking, if you, were, if you knew Gary Kirka... And, and, and I'll just throw in something else. Before this happened, he has a connection. He actually preached at this church several times during the 1990s before all this started because he was obviously, he knew Randy and come down and preach when Randy was gone. So let's make it worse. You want to make it worse than it is already? Let's make it worse. So Mary Jo passed away in 2011, right? And then a year later, he starts seeing a gal. In fact, six months before Mary Jo passed away, he, she gave him permission to remarry. It was kind of a joke in the family. Um, but I was excited. I was super excited that because he has none of the reciprocal benefits of marriage for the 14 years. Pure, servant, never wavered, 
never an ounce wavered from his duties and responsibilities and love for Mary Jo. So a year later, he starts seeing this gal. I was so excited for him. I was just jazzed that he would have the opportunity to have this relationship, right? We're two months into this relationship, three months into this relationship. He doesn't feel good one day. Goes to the doctor. This would have been uh, November of 2012, pancreatic cancer. <laughs> he dies a year, a year later, almost two years to the date after Mary Jo passed away, right? Still two kids in high school. 16 years I watched Gary go through this. Yes, Gary was discouraged, no question. If I had to describe, though, what Gary, his countenance, demeanor, and I would not be alone. Everybody else who knew him would say this. Say, how would you describe Gary Kirka? Oh, joyful. Really? Most guys would have cracked. Joyful? Yeah, I would say that would be him. He was kind of a happy-go-lucky guy. Peaceful, patient, long-suffering. Say, how, do, how does this happen? How does, he, how does he operate in those situations, right? Well, it's, it, it's complicated and it's simple, but he never wavered at all on his hope in his Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he would be the epitome of James chapter 1. Count it pure joy. Well, that's, that's Gary for sure. Um, yeah, he never, he never wavered in it at all. So and at the time I was amazed at his whole attitude, countenance, demeanor, everything about him. Ten years removed, I'm shocked when I look back at it, right? The question is why? Well, it's pretty simple. Gary tapped into the Holy Spirit and the fruits of the Holy Spirit. His joy and his hope was not here at earthly circumstances. It was entirely upon Jesus Christ and upon eternity. So I look at that situation and I look back, and I look at Gary's, you know, his whole deal, and I say, I want that. I want everything he had. How did he come up with this, right? Here's the problem. And this is the problem with you and I. Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's just me. We don't want the trials that would produce that. Do we? Here's what we want. I want to go to Starbucks, and while they're making my coffee, I'll say, can you put in two squirts of patience, two pumps of uh, steadfastness, and uh, let me see, uh, five squirts of brotherly kindness. Can you put that in my coffee, please? No charge. That's what we want. His display of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, right, were so attractive so attractive, they're desirable. And when I look at that, I think, okay, we do a lot of things in our society, put out magazines, People Magazine, Glamour Magazine, Muscle Fitness Magazine, right, stuff like that. What's beautiful, what's pretty, what's gorgeous, pretty eyes, flowing hair, shapely body, blah, 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 right? What Gary had was attractive. I I can just tell you straight out. So, how do we tap into that? Because he tapped into that entirely, the whole time. Just maintained throughout the whole time, joy and peace. 
How do we do that? Well, here we go. Today's uh, chapter in the word in our in my Bible says, "Get your hands on your wealth." We're going to talk about the wealth of the Spirit. Okay, we're going to talk about the wealth, and it's right here in uh, Ephesians uh, three fourteen through twenty one. We'll just start out by reading that. Okay. We're going to pray for spiritual strength, and that's exactly what my brother-in-law displayed. For this reason, starting in chapter 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend... I'm going to use a different word, an add-on word to that, comprehend later. With all saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. All the attributes I talked about before I started talking about Gary. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is a prayer, right? This is the second prayer in Ephesians. The first one is in chapter 1, uh, verses 15 through 23. There's other prison prayers in Scripture. There's one in Philippians uh, 1, 9 through 11, Colossians 1, 9 through 12. Notice here, though, the prayer with the, it deals specifically with the spiritual condition of the inner man. Notice the absence, really, of not material needs or the body. We constantly pray for material needs, for our health, for healing. Nothing wrong with that. Take everything to the Lord in prayer. Paul's emphasis here is for the spiritual condition of the inner man. That is our greatest need. Starts out with an invocation in the first two verses, 14 and 15. For this reason, I bow my knees. We're going to talk about bow my knees, and we're going to talk about the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, uh, let me see what here, uh, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner being. Okay, invocation. Notice that Paul talks about his posture here. He says, I bow my knees. I bow my knees is a, is a posture before the Lord. Okay, what other postures has he, has he talked about in Ephesians? Well, buried in the graveyard is in verse two to one, verse uh, chapter two, verse one. Seated with Christ in chapter two, verses four through six. Walk as to please Him, Ephesians four one, which we'll get to. Stand against the devil, verse uh, chapter six, verses ten through uh, thirteen. So we've talked about being buried in the graveyard and then seated with Christ and then to walk as to please him and then to stand against the devil. All description of some level of posture. Notice the father thing. Okay, between my knees, I bow my knees before the father. The author of my book goes into this quite deeply as to what is... A father. Well, I know exactly who my physical father was. 
I've also heard the description, this person was a, quote, father to me, or a father figure. Um, but here's what I want to emphasize, and what this author in our book emphasizes, that fa- believers are the sons, so if God is your father, you are a son. Believers are the sons of God by what? Rebirth. Okay? All men are not children of God by nature. Nature, your natural position, what you're born with, earthly nature, does not make you son of God, sons of God, or in the family. You're in the family of God because you believe and you've had rebirth of your soul, not because you were born into it. In fact, in fact, really, you and I are really children, uh, children of disobedience, and wrath. Now, here's one thing I wanted. We don't. I want to mention this. We don't have to really try to be sinful. I've noticed that with my kids. They don't really have to try. See, I'm going to get up today and be as naughty as I can. I'm going to stick my tongue out at my sister, and I'm going to steal something. I'm going to spread some gossip. I'm just. I'm going to write my plan down. Here's my uh, unspiritual plan. I'm going to do all these things today. I'm going to try as hard as I can to be unspiritual. Unspiritual. No, don't have to do that. That just comes so naturally. Think of a child when they're born. doesn't take long before they're demanding, want everything their own way. My daughter, Faith, in nursery, took all the toys in the nursery and piled them in a pile and sat on them. I'm, I'm, see, this is getting old here. Was that Eden or was that Faith? Uh, that was that was Eden. Sorry, that was my number one child. She put all the toys in a pile and sat on them in the nursery. Why? Oh, of course, you're not going to let anybody else play. Obviously, she didn't listen to the Bible story at the beginning of the, of the hour. My daughter Faith, not to be one-upped, went to a new level. In the nursery, she took all the toys, stuffed them in the toy refrigerator, closed the door, put a table in front of the door, and sat on the table. We don't have to try to be sinful. This is our earthly nature. Our, nurth, our earthly nature is, descri- is described in Colossians chapter 3. I'll start from the beginning, but really chap- uh, verse 5. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Earthly nature. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Okay, here's what he's going to talk about, your earthly nature then. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. There's the verbiage right there, earthly. What is earth? You are born into this. Sinful disobedience, willful disobedience. That's you and I. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. What is covetousness? You simply desire what somebody else has. It doesn't have to be a possession or item. I had a friend of mine one time, he says he struggles with coveting. I said, what are you coveting? A new boat. I said, how'd you solve that? He said, I bought the boat. No longer covets the boat. I don't know if that was a good idea or not, but that's what he was doing. Covetous means you have something, you, you want something else that someone has, and you, and you, and you harbor jealousy or envy because of this. 
Never covet, be above it, which is idolatry here. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming, okay? In these you once walked, when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Again, here's list number two. Anger. Wrath. Malice. Slander. And obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with his practice, practices, as have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in, in all. Here's the emphasis here is that we are all not children of God by nature. We are children of wrath and disobedience by nature. We are children of God, as Paul is talking about here, by rebirth. That is the whole idea. This is what our author says about it. As creator, God is the father of each person, but as savior, he is only the father of those who believe. There is no such thing in scripture as a universal fatherhood of God that saves all men. He must be born again, John 3, 7. So, a posturing, our Father, we'll keep going on, verses 16 to 19. This one here, I'm going to call the petition. He's petitioning before the Lord. We'll just read 16 and 19 and then talk about it. 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend all the, all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Notice that, that each piece here leads to the next, but we're going to talk specifically about his four requests. First one being strength, depth, I'm going to use the word apprehension. I'll explain it later because this is what the author talks about. I can cheat off the author. And the last one's fullness. Strength, depth, apprehension, fullness. Talk about strength. Power of the Holy Spirit. Enable, enablement for Christian living. The deposit of the Holy Spirit is a promise or a guarantee of the future. It's available to the inner man where God dwells and works, becomes alive when Christ is invited in. Because of the uh, infiltration of the Holy Spirit in the inner man, inner man can now see, hear, taste, and feel that the Lord is good. But it must be exercised. Okay? So let's talk a little bit about exercise. It's a little embarrassing I'm kind of on an exercise kick right now. It's a little embarrassing, and I actually show my workout from my heart monitor, and it records it and then emails it to me, like what my heart rate was each time. And then I email it to, yes, all my kids, and even my assistant, Priscilla. I don't know why. I'm just looking for affirmation probably, right? But I'm working out, so I do the cardio three days a week, and I got this little heart monitor, right? So... But there's two things. When everyone talks about health of the body, what do we talk about? Two things. Diet, exercise. We're talking about diet, exercise. My wife is helping me with this. 
is they lack self-control. Must be exercised. 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. I'll start with verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train, here's the word, train yourself for godliness. And this is where, for while bodily training is of some value, I'm glad he put that in there, bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. You know what? He's exactly right. Me doing my push-ups is not going to help me in heaven, is it? Just help me a little bit now, right? So let's talk a little bit about exercise, okay? So it means to train yourself for godliness, prayer, um, gathering with other believers, praise, meditation, worship, fasting, um, is a value okay? Is a value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So that's our exercise. We're going to exercise this strength that we're given. Okay. Now, though, we're going to talk about the other end of the equation. Matthew chapter four. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. This is after he had fasted for forty days to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter, Satan, the devil, Lucifer, came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, Satan knew exactly who he was, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus is exclaiming here how God's word becomes nourishment. Just like food is nourishment for our body. The word of God is nourishment. So we have nourishment in the word of God, and we have exercise in the form of training. It's important to notice here, it's important to notice that the outer man is passing away. But the inner man is being renewed spiritually. I'm going to give you one example, a piece of scripture, and then another example. You all know if you've been here, yes, I love baseball. Baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, Chevrolet. It's all American, right? And I played in high school, amateur, college, and then when Brent and I moved here in 1993, I always considered softball league kind of the mm, old man's washed up has beens wannabes, you know, you know the verbiage. And but then, and then when I came here, someone said, "Hey, we have a church softball team." Oh well, there. And I loved it more. I'm going to say this: I loved it more than I liked playing college baseball. Why? The camaraderie. The camaraderie was just outright fun, okay? And I think I played for three or four years for church softball. And just to mention this, just to mention this, 
Yes, we won the city championship church softball league one year. I played shortstop. Don Hill played third. Randy Anderson and Bryce Fitch played second base. Let me think who else was on the team. I can't remember who else. I know there were some Hofers on it, some whiffs, some other... I mean, I can't remember exactly the whole team member, but it was fun. It was just enjoyable, right? And then we started having kids, and then I quit playing. That was 1997. How many years ago was that? That was quite a few years ago. Well, this year, my son Luke, who's never played baseball or softball in his life, decides he wants to play church softball here. So he joins the church softball team. So I thought, well, that's fun. I'm going to go along. So I go along, and I keep the book... I still got my heckling words. I can heckle like you would not believe. Learned a lot of that in baseball, right? It's a ton of fun. Well, then one day, unfortunately, Adam Walteisen said, you know, we're short a few people. Could you play first base for us tonight? And I said, ah, sure, I'd love to. So I did the normal routine that I do every other time when I pitch the game. I'd get to the park a half an hour early. I'd stretch for a half an hour. I'd get to the park an hour early. I'd stretch, 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 stretch. And then the key part of this is if you're going to pitch a game or play a game, you go to the outfield and you run sprints. Why? Get loose. Just lengthen the muscles. Just, you know, run sprint, 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 walk, sprint, walk, sprint, jog, sprint, jog. And I used to do that every time I played baseball, so I thought I'd try that. So I get out to the outfield. I stretch really well. I run two or three sprints, maybe 80%, another one, another one. I thought, okay, I'm going to kick her down. I'm going to cut her loose. And so I ran a sprint, and I ran as hard as I could, and pop, hamstring. I didn't even start the game yet. I'm already injured. My wife told me not to do it. My wife told me not to do it. I should have listened. She was smirking. So I played catcher that game instead. It was embarrassing. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, So we do not lose heart. Though the outer self is wasting away, that is true. You simply cannot do the things I used to be able to do. I still exercise, though. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Your body is deteriorating. The soul, the inner spirit, is growing. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The the body is wasting away. We all know that. But the inner self is being renewed day by day. When I first came to church here, I got to be friends with a guy named Gordy Carlson, who died not too long ago. And he was already in his 70s. And so Gordy says, hey, let's go fishing, Jeff. And I said, great. So he and I met up at the Baltic corner on I-29. Uh, he gets in my car. We drive over to Chester. We start fishing on Lake Brant. And Lake Brant has this shoreline, has these huge rocks called riprap. And you, it was kind of that shoreline was like that. But we, so Gordy and I get there, and I look at Gordy, and he's, he's 70 years old by then already, right? And... and uh, he just walked right down that rocks, right down those rocks, you know, just kind of gingerly, whatever. But he just went right down to the bottom, and we both put on a minnow, casted out our poles, and put them in a little rod holder we had set up. It was perfect. We caught several walleyes, a lot of decent amount of fish, I should say, right? Well, one, all of a sudden, my pole goes boing like this, and so I set the hook, and there's something fat in the other end. You could just tell. 
fight, 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 get up to the shoreline, sure enough, it's this northern pike, and I pull him up on shore, and, you know, every time you tell a story, it gets like three inches longer than it was before, right? It was well over 30 inches, probably close to three feet long, in a big, fat thing like this, and I don't eat northerns, because they're bony, and they're hard to, like, cook, right? So I'm just sitting here, Gordy, just, he was talking back and forth, whatever, we're having a great time, and I, I get the hook out of, the, of its mouth, and I go to start to put it in the water. He goes, no, no, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. I said, uh, what's the matter, Gray? Uh, you going to throw that fish away? I planned on it. I'll take it. <laughs> he wanted that. North. He did not want me to throw that thing away. Um, so I should have thought of that beforehand. I should have thought of it beforehand because Gordy is just very frugal. That's, that's like, you know, 10 pounds of fish going down a, a way that you could be used, right? You have to understand Gordy. Gordy was one of the nicest individuals you ever met in your life. And if you knew Gordy at all, and, he, and since he's gone, I can break hip rolls here. Uh, since he's gone, you have to understand, Gordy was a carpenter, you know, made a, a, a good enough income to raise his family, right? But he raised six kids on that carpenter's salary, Right? And so he was not going to let anything like that go, go to waste, right? In fact, Gordy told me a story one time. He said, Jeff? I said, what? He said, do you know when I, because he knew I was in the financial industry, do you know when I started saving for retirement? I said, tell me. He said, at age 65. I said, what happened? I got a Social Security check and didn't know what to do with it, so I started saving it. I figured I got 20 years of run-up for that before I actually retire. <laughs> that was Gordy. He was quite the individual. And to, and to tell you, uh, when he was in hospice, what was that, a year ago approximately or so, I walk in, and of course he's the same smiling Gordy as ever. And I haven't talked to him for like 20, well, maybe 10 years, because he's been in nursing home, whatever. He sees me, first thing he says, fishing on the rocks. Boom, instant. 100 years old, remembered the incident 25 years before. That's a memory. I hope my memory is that good. Here's my point with Gordy. After a while... He wouldn't go fishing with me. He can't because he's aging and his body would not transfer. Now, I should have taken him on my boat. I should have done that. I didn't. Maybe I can ask for forgiveness in heaven. But he had those rocks and he just eventually couldn't go down those. And so his body eventually got to the point, well, Jeff, I'm not going to do that anymore. Okay, we'll just chat in church and have a good time. Um, But his body was eventually aging. But he held on to a youthful appearance for an extremely long time. That was Gordy. He was a pile of fun. Now, we're going to talk about, um, we're going to talk about specifically, let me see here, we talked about strength. We're going to talk about depth. That's in verse 17, even though it doesn't say the word depth here. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you may be, that you being rooted and grounded in love, Three words to convey here this whole idea of a spiritual depth. Dwell, rooted, and grounded. Dwell. To settle down and to feel at home. I hope when someone... We, we like to have people at our house. I, like, I want them to feel as comfortable as possible. I hope they pull off what I did when I first came to church here because when we first came to church... We started uh, going over to uh, Kim and Don Weeking's house. And I'll tell you how comfortable I felt after two or three times there. I literally went in their kitchen, 
and opened up the fridge to see what it was to drink. My wife was appalled. Kiba Dawn thought it as a compliment because I felt so comfortable in their house. Think about God visiting Abraham, bringing two angels with him, sits down and talks, shares a meal, feels at home, tells Abraham his plans. Comfortable to dwell. Rooted. What does it mean to be rooted? Trees have lots of roots. It's been said that whatever you see above ground is basically below ground in the form of roots. Deep into the soil for two things, nourishment and stability. When I plant apple trees at my house, which I love to do, I've learned this. You go to the greenhouse, you go to the root cellar, you buy an apple tree in the spring, that'll become somewhat sometime soon here, but I got a few to plant. Whatever it's cherry tree, apple, plum, whatever. You get it, you're so excited because it's got this stem on it about this big, the apple tree is probably this tall, and it's got this root kind of clump, and then it already has branches and leaves, it looks like a mini tree already, right? Okay, this is what I learned. I go out and I dig the hole, I get the roots in there, follow all the instructions, pack the dirt around, soil, uh, put some water on, I'm ready. Here's the problem. You get a heavy rain, soaks the soil, some wind, grabs those branches and those, and those uh, leaves, <laughs> over it goes. You've lost everything you started with. How do you get an apple tree to actually survive in your house or on your yard then without, you know, what do you do with this? So I had to think about it, right? So, okay, well, the wind's blowing it over. Let's eliminate that. So what I do is I buy the next apple tree the next year, same rut, same everything. I would cut everything off of it. Every branch, every leaf, it was just a twig that came up, and at the top right here, I cut this off. So you're starting basically over with the leaves and the branches. Same thing, dig the hole, get it in there, pack it in, a stick comes up, Rain comes along, yes, it's soaked. Wind comes along, doesn't blow it over. Because there's nothing for it to grab. It stays rooted. And then within two or three years, it's so rooted, and then the branches start growing again, and the leaves, by the time you get branches and leaves, it will take the wind. Because why? Because that root is deep, and it grabs. Rooted. What a word. Description. Planting apple trees. Psalm, the most famous one. Blesses the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree, planted by streams of water, that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. All that he does and all that he does, he prospers. Rooted. From what do I draw my nourishment and my stability? Am I rooted in the word? Grounded. That's another terminology. It's an architectural term. Be grounded. Everything needs a foundation in which we build. It's been, it's been said if you don't go deep, you can't go high. 
I got another story in that one. This one was pretty, this one was, so we have our house that we moved out in the country, and we've lived there a few years, and the heat bill is high because we need to remodel and insulate and blah, blah, blah. I was thinking, you know what, it'd be really nice in a bad winter storm if we just had a standalone wood stove. I just kind of wanted one my whole life. So I found a spot specifically in the basement where if we put the wood stove, went up and went out the wall right there, hole in the concrete, and then built a chimney on the outside all the way up the edge. And so I went on the outside, lined it up. Well, there's a window here, there's a window here. We, yep, I think we can put it right about here. We'll have to go through that eavesdrop, that's fine. We can put it right here. So I called the, all the people that did that. And the guy comes out, he's, he says, yeah, you can do that. Uh, yeah, you can go through this. We'll, we'll drill a hole in the concrete. And we go outside. He said, uh, we need a foundation. Uh, can't we just pour some concrete? Uh, no, it's not how it works. What do I got to do? You got to dig down. Because there was probably six feet of dirt before we hit the foundation. He said, you need to go below that to virgin soil. Because when they poured the foundation, they dug down that far, right? I said, who's going to do that? He said, you are. So I dug a hole by hand. It was probably, because when we put in the uh, chimney, they had to be able to work around it with bricks. So it was, I don't know, probably that wide and just as deep down six feet. So I start. Dig, 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 dig. I had to find a place to put the dirt. Okay, we'll put it out here in the grove. Well, the problem is when you get down to about waist high, this took a long time, you get down to waist high, you can no longer just like, you know, so now I had to have the buck, five-gallon bucket in the hole with me and dig, 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 fill the five-gallon bucket, throw it up there. Now I got to get out of the hole. Brenda? So she becomes the carrier. She's grabbing, she's grabbing the buckets, carrying it out, dumping it out in the grove. I dug all the way down to about this height by hand with my dirt shovel. It was at least this wide. I don't want to you know, exaggerate or anything like that, but it was at least this wide. It took a long time. But from that, because they got in virgin soil, then they poured this big slab of concrete, and then from that is where you start building the chimney with bricks, fire bricks, and then they put an insert in it, went all the way up, two stories, through the eaves, had to cut out that, and had to go way above that so that the wind could grab it and suck the smoke and you know heat it so that it would draw, right? But they, that you can't, you can't do that until you get this done first. And so the concrete had to be poured, it had to be at the very bottom. So, ground it. Well, Jesus might have had something to say about that. Matthew 7, 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Just think if I had tried to build that chimney on dirt or without digging down that far, it would have failed. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and be in that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. 
And everyone who hears these words of mine and does, and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. No foundation. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus had finished these scenes, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as no one had who had authority and not as their scribes. Okay. Comprehension slash apprehension, verses 18 and 19a. You may strength may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Okay, apprehension. Comprehension and apprehension come from the same Latin word prehendere, means to grasp or understand. To comprehend means to just understand mentally, like a math problem. Do you comprehend this? Apprehend has many um, definitions, but in this case, it means to lay hold of for yourself. In other words, a deeper understanding. God told Abraham to walk through the land and see the length and the breadth of it in Genesis thirteen seventeen. In other words, to more fully understand what the promised land would look like. I experienced this this last fall. Luke and I, took for the first time, did a West River deer hunting trip. All on public land. It is vast out there. It is huge landscape. In fact, one of the pieces we were hunting on was over 10,000 acres. And there's basically little to no civilization out there other than these small dotted towns, which are very fun to stay at and eat at the restaurants and whatever. But when you drive around, there's roads, there's these large ditches, and then there's a fence line, and then there's fields and bluffs as far as the eye can see in every direction, grass, this, whatever. And my nephew, Ethan, the last child that Mary Joe had, he and I were out, uh, out there looking, at it, and, and Luke, we'd look around, and he'd say, well, and he's been there several times, if you go out in this field here, there's a bunch of bluffs and this, and I said, I can't see that from here. You can't see it. So what you do is you park your truck in the ditch, you step out, you get all your gear on, and then you cross the fence and you start walking. And you walk and you walk and you walk and you walk. And before you know it, you look back and that truck is a speck, a dot. And then you look around and then you get to a point where it's like these valleys, bluffs, buttes. The, the landscape is gorgeous. It is beyond, it has its own beauty to it. You don't see that from the road at all. You get out there and you experience it. You have a much deeper understanding of what this landscape is like. I enjoyed that more than I enjoyed hunting, just walking out there. But the, you know, eventually, when the truck gets out of sight, you're going, I hope I can find my way back, and I hope I have enough energy to get there, especially if I have a deer in my back. Paul's asking us to experience that, to walk, 
to experience the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, a full understanding of him. We don't need to worry about inadequate spiritual resources. 19b, last part of 19, and you may be filled with the fullness of God. Nature abhors abhors a vacuum. Air and water always flow in to an empty space. Divine nature abhors a vacuum. God wants us to experience his fullness, not partial. Our fullness, our, is a, our measure of fullness is God himself. Lastly, we'll talk a little bit here about the, uh, in this, this group of uh, verses here. We're going to talk about uh, the benediction. The benediction. Uh, verses uh, 20 through 21. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. You think about pastor's talk this morning on the capacity of God and what prayer means with that. According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Notice the Amen. Again, this is a prayer. Notice the Trinitarian emphasis here. It's prayed to God the Father concerning the indwelling power of the Spirit of God made available through the Son of God. The power of Christ is like the love of Christ is beyond our human understanding. We simply cannot understand it. It's not comprehensible to us. I'm fascinated by power. I'm fascinated by power. When I was a kid in an in a, in a agricultural community, if your dad ever went to have coffee in town, what was talked about? How many horsepower your John Deere was compared to their case international? Okay? How fast is your car? Don't lie, guys. I know you've driven your mom and dad's car very fast on a country road someday, haven't you? How fast will it accelerate when you punch it, right? I, a few years ago, I put in some posts in our, to hold up some different fruit stuff, but I went and got 10-foot posts from Brand Lumber, and they're about this big around. I don't know if they're 8 inches. I think they're 8 inches and they're 10 feet tall, right? And I was thinking, man, that's a lot of work to get them in the ground. You have to dig a hole, punch it in, whatever. My neighbor, Brad, who has an excavation company, says, I can do that for you. I said, what do you do? He says, I'll just punch them in there. Okay. So he brings his payloader over one day, puts some rocks in the payloader. It's like a skid steer on steroids, right? He says, where do you want that post? I So I go over there, and I put the post... Right here. Now, this post doesn't have a pointed bottom. It just has a flat bottom. So it's just a post comes down and a flat piece, right? So I put the post. I said, I want the post right here. No problem. So he brings the payloader up to me, raises the scoop up, puts it on top of the post, and pushes it into the ground. (laughs) Where can I get one of these, Brad? (laughs) It just didn't hesitate in the slightest. This is a flat... And it just, it just dissipated that dirt like it was not even there. 
It just uh, didn't hesitate, didn't snap it because he pushed it straight down. It just went straight down. How high you want it? I said, right here. No problem. Uh, and how many more of these can you do? I'm here. So that's a lot of power. Another one would be, another one would be this. So I joined the field artillery. I joined the Army National Guard, Minnesota Army National Guard, largely to pay for school, not because I was patriotic, but because I went there, I became patriotic. Does that make sense? So I went to Fort Sill, Oklahoma. I can't remember what this was, summer or something, back in the 80s, late 80s, and spent three months there, a lot in Oklahoma, right? And I was field artillery. The reason I wanted to be field artillery because the recruiter had, I'm sure, some holes in infantry he wanted to fill in. Jeff, you should be infantry. I don't want to be infantry. He said, why not? Because those are the first guys shot at. <laughs> he said, I said, what about field artillery? You're back five miles. Is that okay? Well, you get shot at too if you're in the field artillery. Well, I'll take my chances. So I, I, I argued with him and finally put me in field artillery. It was an experience. I can't tell you I like, thoroughly enjoyed boot camp, but I didn't mind it at all. Other than the lack of sleep. You just got no sleep. Because you're up at 3 a.m., 4 a.m., Sunday morning it was 5 a.m. that I was asleep, and you really felt energized then. You'd be so stinking tired at boot camp that you're supposed to have your, you're supposed to have your uh, bed so you can bounce a quarter off it, right? So you hit it tight, tight, tight. Well, in order to do that, sometimes you had to get underneath the bed, you get the springs there, and so you grab the blankets and pull them in like this and try to hook them in the springs, whatever, and you're, laying, and you're literally laying on the bed on the concrete under the bed, <laughs> you would literally fall asleep. I kid you not. Because you're so stinking tired sometimes. So you're just sitting there, tucking in, you say, no one's looking. Two minutes. I just want two minutes, please. Can I have two minutes of undisturbed time? So you literally fall asleep. Anyway, so it's field artillery. And then you do it out in your exercises. So when we were done with that, we went up to Camp Ripley in northern Minnesota. And field artillery is the 155 howitzers, so they're probably this big around. Shells are that long, they're 100 pounds, and they'll shoot them up, up to five, six, seven, eight miles, a long ways, right? And then you had the powder bags, so you jam the thing in there, and then the powder, you close it, you put the primer on, and I did every position on those guns. I was a call meter, I was on the phone, I was this, whatever, but one time I was a lanyard boy, right? So you hook the lanyard on there, and you grab the lanyard, and you're ready to say, ready, fire, and you're just so excited to try this, because when you pull that thing one time, you snap it right here, the, the breech is right here, and the tube's probably from me to Mike, well, no, halfway to Michael there. It's, it's a long tube, right? And so you pull it, and it's angled like this. That whole tube, the back of the tubes, recoils this far down and this far up. and makes such a deafening sound your ears just go, right? Your whole, the whole ground shakes. That's just one. That's just one. And you pull that thing, it is such a rush. Boom! It just, and if you lay down behind it, you can actually see, if you hit at the right angle, you can actually see that projectile clearly disappear into the sky. If you blink, you miss it. If you're at the wrong angle, you miss it, right? If you pull that thing, it is deafening. Now imagine... Now imagine guns one through eight in a banana curve, each gun 50 yards apart, maybe, 
and the two outside guns shoot first, so the forward observer can see it and land. All the other guns are loaded, locked, and ready. And the forward observer says, 20 meters this way, 30 meters this way, blah, blah, blah. The two outside guns shoot again. Now we're closer to the target. Shoot again. They hit the target. And then the command was five rounds, fire away. All eight guns shoot five rounds in a row as fast as you possibly can. Your ears just can't take it. You got these little earplugs in there. You're going like this every time you can. It is deafening. I can't imagine what war is like in real life. Here we're talking about the power that is at work within us. God's power is far greater than that. God's Holy Spirit gives us power. His power works in us. There's nothing that God is incapable of because he doesn't have enough power. I'll read those last two verses. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. And you think about all the issues that you think about that keep you up at night at three in the morning when you wake up and you can't sleep because you're worried or thinking about this, this situation, that situation. According to the power at work within us, the Holy Spirit being deposited, the power is unmeasurable. He made blind people see and raised people from complete dead. Makes that field artillery look pretty small. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That was the strength and power that my brother-in-law Gary tapped into to get him through those 16 years of really hard times. He was able to do that. I'll go ahead and pray. Your Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your Son, Jesus. We thank you for you, who are powerful, righteous, holy, and just. All so attractive. We pray that we would be a glimpse of that as we seek you, try to understand, urge us to be obedient to you in every way. And we ask for your mercy and kindness. We pray us in your name. Amen. See you next week.